Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and you're listening to Executive Decisions. Here we examine the various aspects of being in higher level positions and the types of decisions that may need to be made, whether it's day-to-day issues that are important or trying to assess the big picture in your organization. Now, for this show, we'll be figuring out how the use of science and technology can help employers make the best hires, identify and utilize a company's current talent, and also help to create a successful culture. Now, an individual with some insight into this area is Mike Posky, Vice President of Zero Risk HR in Dallas, Texas, where they do help organizations in these exact areas. Mike, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Tim. Before we get into the sort of the meat of the subject, I gave you just a brief introduction there, but if you could fill the listeners in a little bit on your uh, professional role and what Zero Risk HR also brings to the table. Sure, sure. Be glad to, Tim. Um, my professional role is of uh, one of the founders and um, running the day-to-day operations of the company. We are a uh, human resources consulting firm and uh, software development company that specializes in uh, hiring and retention and the development of the, the workforce. So that's our main focus with our clients and with the organizations that we work with. Perfect. That's exactly the, the type of thing we're looking for, and obviously to help our listeners um, you know, maybe get some ideas and perspective on what they can do moving forward. Now, your organization mentions and uh, some of the items I saw utilizing this idea of uh, quote-unquote proven science. What, what exactly would we be talking about there when we mention those terms? Sure, sure. We use a, a deductive social science called axiology, and uh, axios in Greek means worth Hmm. or value. So it's been deemed the science of how we make value judgments or how we assign meaning to things, essentially how we think. And being deductive in nature, much like physics, uh, the science of axiology has a math involved here. So it's, it's very precise. Okay. It's not a, uh, a true social science in that uh, it's like psychology or philosophy that's not as exact or it's more uh, inductive. So we use the deductive method of axiology. Sure. Now, what popped in my mind, and I'm a big sports fan, I'm not sure if you are, but when I hear things of using technology and science, I think of this idea of taking out the human element. Is that sort of the idea here to eliminate mistakes? Is that not really what you had in mind? Where does that play a factor? We want to aid in the human element more than anything. Okay. Um, you know, from a hiring perspective, uh, the EEOC wants employers to uh, create more of a level playing field, remove as much uh, subjective bias as possible. And that's what our uh, our science and our technology and our tools help them do is to be more precise and more accurate to help a uh, help make a, a great business decision, but removing some of the subjective biases that, that we all have. Now, I guess it, I didn't necessarily prep you for this question, but is that something that you feel or your organization has felt that maybe has been an issue in the past? Is you know just the idea that humans do make mistakes, they have biases? Is that sort of where this all kind of comes from? Yeah, a lot of that is. Uh, that's basically the source. Uh, you know, we all have um, uh, emotions at play. Mm-hmm. We have uh, pressures on us in terms of hiring decisions, in terms of the demand or, um, you know, frustration and just uh, uh, that process involved. But uh, this helps us be more accurate. Like I said, it's almost like using our glasses or our contacts and being able to see something a lot more clear without having uh, using those. Uh, sometimes we're not as accurate and uh, we want to help organizations um, use that pinpoint precision to fine tune the organizations and 
every aspect of hiring as well as identifying training and development opportunities for the people that they employ. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at the idea of, you mentioned, uh, you know, the analogy of, of glasses for individuals in terms of, you know, making that picture a little clearer. So I like that uh, that analogy there. Another term that I had seen um, with some of your documentation uh, that we had had was uh, this idea of thinking DNA of the workforce, the thinking DNA mm-hmm. of the workforce. What What is meant by that? Because on, on its own, I think, it doesn't mean a whole lot to anybody who reads it, but what are you trying to accomplish by using that term? Okay, we, we want to get uh, kind of the, the thinking or the underlying uh, source of what happens in organizations in terms of the decisions that are being made, uh, the policies and, and, and procedures and processes that are put in place. And uh, when we talk about the thinking DNA, obviously using the science of axiology, we're able to uncover the things that maybe the organization as a whole or maybe various departments within that organization mm. are paying attention to, uh, what those true motivations are, the things that they're looking for, the things that they value. And it, it's able to help us identify you know, where your current longitude and latitude is as an organization, which is going to be much more uh, helpful and impactful in getting you to where you need to go as an organization in terms of hitting some of your goals and, and your core initiatives. So we utilize that science to under, uncover the thinking of the group or the company as a whole and uh, gives us a good picture of what needs to be put in place to fill those gaps to get where we need to go. So it's something that you guys are determining that the organization already has. It's not something that you're necessarily bringing into them or, or feeding them ideas, so to speak. Correct. Okay. Correct. They already have it. We're just using uh, our our instrument. Like I said, it's almost, uh, I keep going back to the analogy of a vision test. Uh, we're just giving you what your prescription is on your business. It's up to you to wear your glasses or your contacts to um, to have a clear path of uh you know, reaching those goals. Sure, sure. Now, part of uh, some of the items you guys take care of, um, the idea of pre-employment assessment. Uh, and again, one of the phrases that you know, I just like to pick things out to, to sort of pick your brain and what that means for you, uh, is it states that it objectively measures your candidate's emotional intelligence competencies. So first off, my thought is, how does your organization define or describe the idea of emotional intelligence, especially when we're talking about, uh, you know, maybe helping get away from the human element, so to speak, by utilizing science and math. Mm-hmm. Wh- how does that play a factor when you're talking about emotional intelligence and what that means to, to your organization? Good questions. Well, what, what we mean by emotional intelligence is it's pretty simple. It's our, our biases and our thinking. What are the things that we gravitate towards? What are the things we gravitate away from? And then most importantly, the clarity within that, that vision or that thinking, uh, almost like the resolution in a computer uh, or a TV screen. You know, the higher the resolution, the clearer the image, and sure. the clearer the image, the better the judgment. But we're utilizing uh, the science to uncover an individual's ability to recognize the moods and the feelings of other people and to be able to influence those, but to also recognize our own moods and feelings and impulses and to be able to regulate those. So it's really getting to that resolution that, that's happening in the brain that really controls all of our behaviors, emotions, and decisions. Do you think that's something that's becoming, I don't know if it's more important than finding the right skill or experience, but do you see that 
that fit, that emotional intelligence that you're talking about being as big, if not more important, when you're looking to hire someone, when a company is looking to hire someone? Yes, I do. When we see the results of validation studies, looking at the differences between performers and and, and average performers and, and bottom performers based on certain key performance indicators specific to those roles, uh, the things that we see that really separate those groups is their thinking, their biases, hmm. and most importantly, their clarity. Are they paying attention to the things that job requires them to pay attention to? And most importantly, can they exercise clarity and judgment on a consistent basis in those situations? And that's really what separates performers from, from non-performers. So we see in our studies uh, that the emotional intelligence competencies are about 80% oh, wow. of the core competencies that correlate to success. And if you think about it compared to behavior mm-hmm. or personality, uh, which is really something different, those are the symptoms of the thinking, you know, varying personality types can effectively perform the same job. But the performers are paying attention to some of the same things and exercising clarity within their judgment consistently. So I think uh, from what we've seen, emotional intelligence is one of the most impactful things to measure because that is the source of those skills that we have. It's interesting because you, you did bring up the idea of behavior and it's not necessarily you know the same in terms of intelligence or emotional intelligence. And that's another aspect, obviously, that goes into this, um, the idea of behavioral interviewing and, and training in those ways. How does that come together in terms of what your organization does and I, I guess sort of bringing it all together on the side of emotional intelligence and the skills and then obviously this behavioral side that you also mentioned? Sure, yeah. We, we marry from a pre-employment aspect. Uh, when you take the emotional intelligence assessment as a candidate, we provide a, a behavioral-based interview guide as well because I don't necessarily believe unless you've got a large volume, you know, you're hiring thousands and thousands of people, you're probably going to want to do more of a predictive study on an assessment that you're using. So you've kind of got cutoff scores, hire, don't hire based on this. But most organizations aren't going through predictive studies, especially some of the smaller or medium-sized employers. So we marry the assessment results up with behavioral-based interviewing because if we can uncover through the assessment, the emotional intelligence, uh, the core competencies, the thinking that the individual has, then we can use the behavioral-based interview questions to probe those thinking centers and really find out how it's manifesting itself, which is really now getting into the values of the organization. So we're measuring how they value, how they think, and the behavioral questions tell you how that thinking manifests itself, mm-hmm. which then in turns uh, kind of confirms for you the motivations and the values of that individual. So and I'm just thinking out loud here, based on what you're telling me, Say you have these candidates taking these pre, pre-employment assessments um, in terms of you know, their emotional intelligence, that sort of thing, and then you bring them in possibly for an interview. Is their behavioral interview going to be specific to some of the items they had been assessed on, or is it a little more general than that? No, it's going to be pretty uh, specific okay. to what they were, were assessed on, and the questions are tied to those competencies and those different thinking styles. Okay. No, I, I think that I think that's great. Just to be able to break it down in in that regard. Do you have any examples or an example you can give us of what a behavioral question might come up in one of these interviews? Yeah, a lot of the the behavioral questions are going to set uh, the stage, so to speak, in the past in a similar situation that you're considering that candidate for, because the best predictor 
of uh, future behavior or performance is past behavior and performance. So a question might be something like, give me an example of when you provide it, you went over and above the call of duty to provide great customer service. Okay. And then you might have primary or secondary probing questions uh, pertaining to that. Okay, what was your role? What were you thinking? What were the decisions? What were the outcomes that happened? So it's getting very specific into an event and having that candidate paint that picture for you. Right. Another area I wanted to touch on uh, in terms of what your organization does and what you're looking to accomplish was the idea of uh, human capital auditing, I believe was the phrase. What does this mean to you? What is that sort of, I mean, is there a way to break that down that uh, the listeners could better understand what that means? Sure, sure. It, this kind of refers back to when we were talking about the thinking DNA, right. uh, the current longitude and latitude of the organization or of a team. So, you know, we have many organizations that um, they want to assess their culture, right. but they're doing it in a way, or maybe they're doing 360s or they're doing uh, employee satisfaction surveys. Sometimes that information is, is filled with uh, political dynamics or biases or emotions that may not really be getting at the, the true uh, source of what's going on or what's causing or creating the culture. So what we, we do is we give clients, um, they have all their current employees take the assessment. We do a composite averages of the results, and that gives us an overview of, of the core competencies and the cultures uh, and kind of the, the style of that organization as a whole. Then we look at it from a, a leadership team perspective, maybe a sales team, a service team, uh, all of their managers. And I'll give you an example. This information is good in, in helping identify the culture. But then once you know the culture and you can see the motivations in certain teams, you can see better and more clearly job advertisements mm -hmm. that you can utilize that, that attract those motivations or compensation plans that hit on those motivations. We had one example of a, uh, of a community bank, for example, that did the audit and we looked at their, their teller group. So they had a composite average uh, very high in what we call self-awareness, which is seeing that they can influence. So they're motivated by influencing people and also by individual recognition based on uh, maybe suggestive selling and cross-selling. So collectively, this team had that motivation, but their pay plan was paying uh, an incentive to the team as a whole hmm. for cross-sales or suggestive selling for other services that the bank provides, and they weren't hitting their numbers. So we suggested based on the audit results that they change their comp plan. That incentive needs to be more focused on the individual teller rather than the group of tellers. And once they changed that, it hit on those core motivations that the majority of the tellers had, and they started exceeding their numbers in terms of cross-sells and suggestive selling uh, of the bank services. So it's really an objective way, removing, again, that subjective bias of taking a snapshot of where the organization is, what those true motivations are. Oh, that's a great example. And, you know, our listeners love hearing those real life, uh, you know, illustrations where they can put their hands on something. So I think hearing that and understanding those little tweaks, how that can help, I think that definitely uh, sort of brings it all together with what we've been talking about today. 
When you're going through that, this idea of blind spots has also come up. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily just due to leadership or management or if it's sort of what you're talking about there. There was a, a disconnect in, in what the compensation was versus what maybe the employees are looking to do. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on the idea of, of finding those blind spots and, and how it might affect leadership and management? Sure. Obviously, we can look at you know the blind spot of an individual. And we all have blind spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't always necessarily see certain things in ourselves, but uh, people who are very close to us can see those. So the, those are those blind spots. And when you look at, for example, from a, a leader, an individual leader or a leadership team, they may have individual blind spots or collective blind spots. And, and an example of this, uh, doing a, an audit with an executive team recently, they had a major blind spot in terms of reading and evaluating people. So their intuitive capabilities uh, weren't that accurate. Their empathy uh, was really off the chart, so to speak, almost too much empathy. So what was happening as a result of that thinking, they weren't being very accurate in their performance reviews. Uh, They were uh, not being very diligent and having tough conversations in a timely manner. And so we brought to light some of those blind spots, and they were able to correct some things based on just that awareness. And, and that's really what development is. It's, it's awareness. We don't know what we don't know, but once we're made aware of it, then we can affect change. Again, those, I think that's just a great example of, of being able to really put your finger on what you're talking about here. So I, I do appreciate that for sure. When someone is looking into utilizing some of the aspects that you guys take care of, how long might this take to put a company through the idea of the, the training part, the assessments? I'm sure it varies depending on size and what exactly they're, they're looking to do, uh, but maybe just a ballpark in terms of how long it, it would take to go through this. Well, you might be able to set up an organization on the pre-employment uh, you know, pretty much um, very quickly. We do have access to validated hiring benchmarks uh, covering about 25 industries and about 500 job titles. Uh, so we can get an organization set up uh, pretty quickly. If they're a larger organization or they have a larger population size in a, in a specific uh, job title or it's a very critical job title, uh, we will do custom validation. So that might take you know 30 to 60 days to get that uh, completed and then programmed in the system where they can start utilizing that. On the, on the post-hire, the training aspect of things, we have a leadership program that we take usually executive teams through or, or people managers through that it's a, it's a six-month process where they go through some coaching. Uh, they get uh, specific prescriptions, if you will, on their, their individual blind spots. They get them on their teams and a lot of one-on-one coaching and team-based coaching. So you might can get anywhere from, you know, a day for a smaller company to six months to roll out uh, these entire programs. Okay, cool. What has been the overall reaction to, you know, some of the items you guys have been trying to implement? I mean, is there a little bit of hesitancy when maybe you're you're pitching your ideas just because of the technology aspect or it's newer and maybe it's a little unknown in terms of where these numbers coming from? Where's the science coming from? I guess what has been that reaction overall that, that you've gotten? Well, it's, it's been very positive. I think initially, uh, you know, one of our challenges that, um, you know, we have to be um, aware of is in communicating the differences because a lot of organizations are familiar with personality mm-hmm. uh, tools or behavioral assessments. That's kind of what they know, but we're trying to shift that paradigm to think, okay, well, where does that personality 
or that behavior come from? It comes from our thinking. Well, that's in essence what we're measuring. We're doing it in an objective way, in a very quick fashion, a very accurate fashion. Because keep in mind uh, that the science of, of axiology uh, was developed and founded by a Nobel Prize nominee in 1973. So there's a lot of history uh, behind this. But you know that is um, you know that's one of the things that is so powerful here. So using that precision is really the big differentiator. And so I, I believe proof is in the pudding. So when we share with uh, prospective clients the results we get, so you know lowering turnover by over a hundred percent. Uh, or lowering work comp claims by over 50%, or lowering cash drawer shortages in a retail organization by over 90%. You know, the proof is in the pudding. So we always go uh, to market with our clients with an aspect of we want to prove this, we want to see what's going on. Um, you know, the return on investment is right there. So once they see that and they talk to other clients and see the impact that this is having, um, they're, they're pretty excited about it and they, and they stay on board with it because it works. Yeah. It never hurts to have those, uh, solid numbers to be able to throw out there. Exactly. No matter, no matter what industry, it's nice to see that kind of, those kind of stats on your side. Well, Mike, it's, it's been great uh, just being able to talk about this and again, get a little different perspective, maybe help our listeners out there who are in a position to maybe, um, you know, change the way they assess both their own sure. workforce and, and their hires. Um, before we go, in terms of utilizing this idea of science and technology, whether it's hiring, whether it's in-house, what, what would you want to give the listeners as sort of a takeaway from this whole conversation and just maybe that one key aspect you'd love to point out before we go? A couple of key things is um, be consistent in, tar- in terms of your hiring process. Make managers accountable for what that process is. I believe organizations should have hiring managers have... Um, in their uh, comp plans, uh, MBOs associated uh, with uh, utilizing the process and and having retention numbers. So I I just believe whether you use an assessment or not, be consistent and be accountable for the process for bringing uh, bringing employees inside your organization. Well, with that, we will have to bring a close here to our latest edition of Executive Decisions here on LJN Radio. We've been speaking with uh, Mike Posky, Vice President of Zero Risk HR, and he's been able to enlighten us a little bit on how leveraging the idea of science and technology and the precision of it, as you've mentioned, is definitely essential in today's workforce. Mike, thanks again for coming on and giving us your insight today. Thank you very much, Tim. Enjoyed it. And of course, as always, we'd love to hear from our listeners as well. So just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com if you have any comments or suggestions really for any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. This has been Executive Decisions. We'll talk to you later.